We are so glad that you joined us today. We know that God wants to do something great in you and through you, and we want to hear about it. So if you can take a moment and share with us your story in the City Chapel app in the Amen Corner. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoy today's message. So um, I'm going to start a new sermon series today, and uh, we're calling it Don't Miss Your Moment. Um, Diana didn't miss her moment, so I hope you don't miss your moment. Uh, we're going to look at John chapter 4, and over the next several weeks, we're going to be uh, diving into this story, but today I just want to give a quick overview into a story that's traditionally called the woman at the well. If you grew up in church, you've probably heard this or read this, but sometimes, sometimes it's the stories that you think you know that God will use to really open up your eyes to a brand new revelation of who he is. And so I'm going to jump. I usually like to preach on stories that you've never heard of, but this sermon series is all about a story that you think you know, about a lady that you think you know, about an encounter that you think you know. But I really believe that God has something for us that's brand new and fresh, and um, I'm excited about it. So we're going to look at John chapter 4. It's going to be on the screen, um, and we're going to do a little bit of reading, okay? So we're, we're going to read about 30 verses because that's how big this story is. And uh, if you didn't get your Bible reading in yet today, uh, you're going to get it in right now. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, um, parentheses, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but the disciples did. It's interesting, uh, the, the religious gossip was wrong. <laughs> Welcome to church. Uh, it was close, but it was off. The Holy Spirit just wants you to know that. Uh, the Pharisees were talking about how Jesus was baptizing more than John, and the, and the Holy Spirit says, well, technically, uh, gossip is usually off. Um, but when Jesus hears this, this is the catalyst for him to do this whole following miracle. Well, this is the catalyst. He hears this, and, and he decides he leaves Judea and departed again to go to Galilee. Verse 4, but he needed to go through Samaria. I'm going to come back to that. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. That means it's about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Uh, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask from me a drink, being a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. <laughs> he turns it around. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So the woman says to him, Sir, You've got no bucket. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where, then, do you get this living water? Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, uh, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me that water that I may not come here to drink, that I may not come here to draw. So Jesus said to her, Okay, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have said, Well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. 
So the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and that you Jews say that we should worship in Jerusalem. That's the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is. Don't miss your moment. The hour is coming and now is. She's stepping into a moment. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth because the Father is seeking. (laughs) The Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, I guess he'll tell us everything. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he was talking to this woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Because Jesus just said what he was seeking. No one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? And so the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city and came to him. I want to talk to you for the next few weeks about uh, not missing your moment. This woman has an encounter with Jesus that, that drastically changes her life and, in effect, changes the city that she lives in. The entire city comes out to see Jesus. They receive Jesus. There's this powerful, really three, I think it's three or four days that Jesus stays with that city. And people's lives are forever changed. And, and, and so as I was reading that, I realized that, that I believe that God, um, God has moments in our life. And not all moments are created equal. You know, you have the moment, like, I don't remember the first time I tasted McDonald's, you know. I I just, (laughs) I was probably two. Um, Thanks, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, And, uh, you know, I I got addicted to McDonald's fries. I don't remember when. I don't remember how. I don't remember the first time I tasted McDonald's because McDonald's really, I mean, it's okay, but it's not really that special. However, I do remember the first time that I had uh, beignets at Cafe Du Monde right along along the river in New Orleans, Louisiana, right outside the French Quarter. If, 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 if 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 you knew about that moment, you'd be shouting me down right now. It was, it was life. There are some moments that are life-changing, right? There are some moments that are that are that are, are definitive shifts. Something happens inside of you. Something turns on inside of you. Something comes alive inside of you. And you never knew that that a bunch of flour, deep fried, and sugar poured on top of it could be that good, but it is. And if you ever want to drive eight hours to New Orleans, I'll go with you, and we'll get some beignets and some some coffee with chicory. You know what I'm saying? And it's going to be a good time. We'll go down to Redfish Grill and get their redfish. Is it lunch yet? I'm, I'm, I'm a little. It's, it's <laughs> New Orleans, man. It's awesome. The French Quarter. Uh, man, it's some of the best food on the planet. There are, there are moments. There are moments in your life. And that's true of food. But it's also true of relationships. There are moments that change every other moment. Not every moment is created equal. 
Some moments you don't, even, you don't even remember what you were doing. You don't even remember what you had for lunch yesterday. But there are some moments that, that, that are so impactful. And I believe that God designs moments in our life in order to, to make us who he wants us to be. That God designs encounters with him that, that change who we are as people. Uh, and so, and so today, the title of today's message is really the, the power of an encounter. I want to talk to you today about the power of an encounter. And I know that sounds somewhat as if I am, I'm preaching as an experiential preacher. Well, you just want us to chase experiences. Um, I am. Because salvation is an experience. Sanctification is an experience. Joy is an experience. Peace is an experience. If you can't experience it, it's not real. If you're, always, if you're always learning about it, but you're never experiencing it, it's not real. It might be a good theory, it might be a good teaching, it might fascinate you, and you watch the guy on YouTube who tells you all about this stuff that you can't experience, and that's great and all, but I believe that God has an experience for each and every one of us that, that would shift and change who we are. I was talking to, I was talking to my daughter uh, the other night, just a couple nights ago, telling her stories about revival, and I was telling her stories about how uh, during the Welsh revival in 1904, there was, there was something called a fire line, that God just did this, like in the middle of a city. It was an invisible line that nobody could see, but it was just drawn. God would just draw a line like down the street or down the sidewalk or in a shopping center or in a store. But in 1904, when a businessman is like got his newspaper and he is tucked under him and he's got his coffee and he's walking on his way to work, he would walk past this fire line. And as soon as he walked past the line, he would experience God. He would encounter God. It wasn't in church. There was no organ. There was no, there was no preacher. He just, he just encountered God. And so people were literally falling in the middle of, of, of the street at times because they were just encountering God. Because suddenly all the stuff that he was thinking about, that businessman is trying to figure out how he's going to make more money, how he's going to provide for his family, how he's going to take the next step in his business. All of those things that he was so consumed with, as soon as he encountered God, he realized that none of that stuff was eternal. None of that stuff really mattered. The real question is, how is your soul? And if we could have an encounter like that, I guarantee you, you would be late to work. I guarantee you, you would be late to the birthday party. I'm pretty sure you wouldn't be checking Facebook every 24 seconds because at some point, oh, nobody wants to be honest in the church. At some point, you gotta, you got to change your thinking. Something's got to shift inside of you. And it doesn't happen from preaching. I was telling Madden about this, and, and she said, So, Dad, do you think that that's ever going to happen at City Chapel? And I said, Well, I hope so. She said, Why? Because <laughs> it would kind of mess things up, you know. Uh, if, the, if the worship leader can't stand to lead worship, it sort of makes things kind of tricky. If the sound guy can't stand to like turn the knobs and if the preacher can't stand like to actually share anything, it sort of jacks up what we call church. And she said, well, you know, why would, why would, why would you want that to happen? And I said, well, honey, because, because one, like one encounter with God is worth more than a hundred sermons. Because when I talk, I mean, yeah, people smile and they get a little bit of revelation. But then they still go back to their regular jobs and their regular life. And I so want to follow God. I just can't. 
Because all they got was information. All they got was revelation. All they got was a new view of something or a new understanding of something. And that's helpful and it's good. But what we really need is an encounter with God. What we really need is to meet Jesus, to meet him, to be in his presence. The person whose presence you are in will shift the atmosphere of your life. That's why I'm blocking people on Facebook all the time. I mean, I'm like, you know... I'm like Ginobili. I'll block you. I don't care. I don't. I, <laughs> Sorry, Houston fans just had to throw that out there. Sometimes the devil thought he had it, but God gets it. It's just what happens. I'll block you. I don't mind. I'll, like, we're still friends. I'll block you, though, because I don't want to hear your garbage. Like, I don't want to be all depressed all day. I'm not interested in that because who you are around, the presence of who you are, it affects you. It rubs off on you. And we need to be in the presence of God. We need the presence of God. We need an encounter with God. We don't, we don't need more church. We don't need more Bible studies. We don't need more talking about God. We need some encountering of God. We need a generation that has actually met the one that they're talking about, that has actually experienced him. Because the person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. So I don't care what, your, what, 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 what my college professor told me about how God was blah, 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 blah. That was good for him because he never experienced him. I have experienced Jesus. I know that he's alive. Not because I read it in a book, but because he lives inside of me. I met him for myself. And it shifted something inside of me. It changed me. Nobody had to bug me to follow him. Nobody had to nag me not to sleep with my girlfriend. Come on, somebody nobody had to I didn't need I had God that was real one of the reasons why we have such a hard time following God is because we never met him we brushed up against him we saw glimpses of him at church we felt goosebumps of him during worship but we have never really encountered God there's power in an experience there's power in an encounter that's what changes this lady all of her life, you see the history of her life just in this short little uh, conversation that she has with Jesus. And yet we recognize that instantly we have a woman who, who is too ashamed, right, to even go to the well at a regular time. Um, back in those days, you didn't go to get water from the well in the middle of the day because that's the hottest time of the day in the Middle East. I mean, you know, you're out there in the Middle East, the blazing desert sun, most regular people would go get water. Most women would go early in the morning before the sun even came up. And so the fact that this lady is there at this hour, which the Bible tells us very specifically which hour, because they want you to, the Bible wants you to know how weird this is, how odd this is. This woman's coming to get water at, at noon? That's like people that, that go to Walmart at midnight. <laughs> Don't look around. Don't look around. I might run into you, actually. If it's on a Saturday night, I might run into you because I'm buying something for Sunday. I, like, I, there's some, there are some interesting folks at midnight. And, uh, man, it's, they got one register open, and that one poor 16-year-old is, like, falling asleep. And, and uh, everybody else is, I don't know what they're doing. And uh, it's, 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 it's interesting. But, but she's intentionally trying to avoid the crowd. Obviously... She's not going when you normally go. She is there at noon, which means that she deals with a little something I think that all of us deal with. It's called shame. 
She's trying to avoid groups of people. She's trying to avoid people who know her, who know her past, who know her story, who, who would look on her, who would, who would, who would laugh at her, who, who, would, who would feel that they are above her. The very same reason many people avoid church. <laughs> she's, she's avoiding the well because she's afraid, it seems, of what people would think of her. She's not, she's not interested in just simply going along with the flow. She feels that she is different. She feels that she is ostracized. And she's stepping into the well situation at a time when she doesn't expect anybody to be there. But what's interesting is that's exactly the time when Jesus shows up. So God, God knows where you're at. God knows where you are. God knows your address. He hasn't, he, he hasn't forgotten about you. And when he shows up in your life, he will often show up exactly where you're at. He doesn't ask you to come to where he is. He goes to where you are. Which is what scripture says. If we can go back to those opening verses in John 4, he says that uh, Jesus hears that the Pharisees are gossiping about him and they kind of got it wrong in verse 2. But in verse 3, it says that he leaves Judea and departed again to go to Galilee. Jesus is going to Galilee. That's the destination. He's going to Galilee. That's where he's from. He's going there. There's some miracles that are going to happen. He's going to Galilee. But in verse 4, it says that he needed to go through Samaria. And so in order to demonstrate to you exactly what this verse is saying, uh, I've created a very uh, high-tech map. Um, I'm, I'm an expert at Photoshop. And um, so this is a very <laughs> high-tech map. The blue line is the River Jordan. Uh, that's, that's, that's a river. doesn't look like it, but it is. Jerusalem is down south. Samaria and Sychar, where Jesus went, is over on the left. And Anan, if you see on the right, that green line is where Jesus was. He was baptizing near Anan. And then Galilee is up north where he's going. Now, this you, you miss this if you're not familiar with, with, with biblical geography. But I wanted to just show you a picture. And those, those lines, okay, the red line is the line that the Samaritans, that's the route that the Samaritans would take when going from Samaria to Jerusalem or from Samaria to Galilee. That's, that's, that's like their road. The green line, you might notice, is kind of out of the way. That's the route that the Jews created so that they didn't have to go through Samaria. <laughs> because they saw Samaritans as less than them. Uh, it is true that the Samaritans were kind, had crossbred with various uh, other um, uh, uh, cultures and people. But it's also true, as we'll get into in a few weeks, that they had adopted some different worship practices, which is why when Jesus is talking to the woman, the woman brings up worship. Most of us think that's bizarre and odd, but it's actually a big part of the Samaritan's identity. So their worship was different, uh, and, and their, their ethnicity was different. And so the Jews said that if you're really going to be a good Jew, you're going to go around this green route. If you're ever going to go to Galilee or you're coming from Galilee, you're not going to go through Samaria. Samaria was, was the other side of the tracks or the river. Samaria was, was the other side, and so you don't, you don't go there, which is why John the Baptist set up his shop near Anan, because John was challenging the Jews. And he knew that that's where they would be traveling. So John is baptizing there. Jesus is also baptizing near there. And then he turns to his disciples and says, we need to go to Galilee. And they say, okay, well, I guess we're just going to need to go north, right? We're about uh, 20 miles from Anan to Galilee. We're going to go north. And instead he says, no, we need to go left. So when scripture says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria, 
it was not his GPS that was telling him to go through Samaria. His GPS actually would have been trying to reroute the entire time. <laughs> rerouting, rerouting. Please make an immediate return when possible. Rerouting, rerouting. His GPS was not telling him to go through Samaria. Samaria was not on the way. Samaria was out of the way. But this is to show you that, 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 that the need for Samaria had nothing to do with geography. The need for Samaria had nothing to do with convenience. Rather, Jesus had, was being motivated by something else. He was being motivated by this lady that was going to be at the well on the next day that he knew needed what he had. And he said, I need to go through Samaria so that I can meet with her, so that I can encounter her. And so God, God doesn't always, the one, he doesn't expect you to come to where he is. But also, even, even when you are way out of the way, even when you are far gone, even when you are super lost, even with you, when you are in the place where other Christians walk around and, and your life is the conversations that other people talk around and your situation is the kind of stuff that other people don't, don't even want to approach, those are the places that Jesus goes. Jesus goes where religious folks don't go. He leaves the religious drama and gossip about who's baptizing more and growing their church faster and he decides to go directly to the ones who couldn't come to him. And so if you're here today, he's after you. He's after you. That's why he set up shop in South Austin in a, in a, in a, in a, in a rundown Williams Elementary so that he could speak to you. He met you where you're at. This, this is how I know that God wants to encounter everybody because he showed up in this lady's life. It wasn't even on the way. It wasn't even partially on the way. He shows up at her well with her. And she comes walking up thinking this is chance, thinking this is happenstance, thinking this is just whatever. She doesn't know that she has been set up by God. She doesn't know that God knows exactly who she is, where she is, and he has gone out of the way to find her about 17 miles from Anan to Sychar. Which... Which, by the way, sets up the whole story. You don't really understand the story until you understand the geography because, because you, 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 don't, you don't get why Jesus is so thirsty, right? <laughs> he shows up, and he, the Bible says that he was thirsty. It says, thus, he was thirsty. In other words, he, like, like you know the journey from Anan to Sychar. So in other words, you already understand that Jesus was really, really thirsty. And I think it's so interesting that Jesus shows up thirsty. And so I, if I'm the kind of preacher who would, who would share my points, uh, 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 my second point would be that, that in order to really encounter God, to experience the power of an encounter, you have to know your need. You have to, you have to be clear. You have to be honest about your need. What happens is Jesus tells his disciples, guys, we need to go to Samaria. And they say, huh? I thought we were going to Galilee. Yes, we are, but first we need to go to Samaria. And so he begins traveling. Now, now there is no road. If we could go back to the map, there is no road between Anan and Sychar. There is, there is, there is no road. Instead, that is a mountainous region. It's, it's in mountains. There's no road. There's mountains. Jesus decides to go through the mountains. Now, remember, he's, he didn't pack a lunch. There's no McDonald's on the way or Cafe du Monde. There's none of that. 
he, he says, we're going to go 17 miles through the mountains. We're going to go today because we need to show up in the middle of the, of the day tomorrow. Most people travel at night. But Jesus takes off early in order to travel through the mountains to sleep in the mountains with all the jackals and, and, and the snakes. God help him, just like Texas. And he's sleeping out there, laying out there. And he's got no, no shelter, no covering. He's, he's, he's traveling in the middle of the day, the Middle Eastern sun. He's got all, he's got all the garb on, you know, the blue sash and... No, maybe it wasn't blue, but he's got he's got he's got his dress on, you know, like like, like they used to wear. And I mean, it is hot. He is hungry. He hasn't eaten in a day. He hasn't drank anything in a day. All of the all of the moisture that has left his body, he has not been able to replenish with water. So when the Bible says that he shows up thirsty, it's being honest. Jesus shows up looking like a homeless man. He's been traveling all night, sleeping outside. His beard's all matted. His lips are cracking because he's thirsty. And he can barely even make it to the well. He can barely even. I, I just think it's funny sometimes how God like paints these pictures that, that really are so strange. Because here you have Jesus, who is the water of life, who is the well of life. And he's thirsty. He's without water. She shows up to the well. She didn't realize she showed up to two wells there. But she shows up to the well, and the one well has water. You can smell it. You can hear it running down there in the bottom of the well. The other well is completely drained, completely zapped of all energy. I mean, Jesus barely, you know, if, if this is the well, Jesus is just barely even holding on. And he's, he just finally throws himself down next to the well. Here's this poor guy, right? She walks up to this poor dude, just... You know, just just dying. You go 24 hours without water and you traverse 17 miles of the mountain country in the Middle East. I wouldn't make it. Chris, Chris just said he wouldn't make it. I don't think it like we would. We die. We just die somewhere in the mountain. You never find us. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, Jesus was a little more fit than us. He never had McDonald's. And, and he's... <laughs> so those french fries, man, they get you every time. <laughs> he, is, he is wore out. It's such a funny picture. It's such a strange picture because here you've got God, like who created everything, who spoke worlds into existence, leads out all of the stars every single night, has a name for each and every one of them. I mean, you have God. Who, 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 who divided the upper water from the lower water, whatever that means. And you have God who then set the boundaries of the water so that it didn't transgress its beaches. You have God who shapes mountains and moves things. And, and God is, 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 is the homeless guy at the well. Like, like, I know it took a lot of humility for God to, to become man, but, but did he have to become a homeless man who, who's begging for water. He shows up to the well. He's got nothing to draw with. Either the dude's unprepared or he's so poor he can't even afford a jar to lower into the well. And she walks up. This is what blows my mind. It's so funny because she walks up and we know her story. Five husbands and she's living with this current guy. Which Jesus draws a distinction, by the way, between marriage and living with somebody. Everybody at 2017, that's a wake-up call for you. Jesus draws a distinction between it. He says it's different. It's different. And he says, this is the guy you're living with, not your husband. But she, she, we know her story. We know 
that she's broken inside. We know that she's hurting. We know that she's lost. We know, but, but when she shows up at the well, she's, you know, she's dressed. She just rolled out of bed, hadn't even done her hair. She goes on down to the well. She looks, she's, she's, she's got a jar. She looks like she's got it together. Isn't that funny? On the one hand, you have somebody who is so poor in spirit, who looks rich on the outside. And on the other hand, you have somebody who's so rich in spirit, who looks so poor. <laughs> I just, that picture in my head just, just is, is burned inside of my head because, because I think, I think Jesus waited until he got to Anan in order to travel to Samaria on purpose. I think it was part, I think he he was ready to encounter this lady as far as what he was going to say, because he's the best preacher ever. But he wanted more than just a sermon. He wanted a sermon illustration, which some of us preachers, we always like sermon illustrations. And so Jesus is, is, is building his sermon illustration for 17 miles. He is the sermon illustration. That's him. And so he says, I want to I tell her how thirsty she is. I want to tell her how lost she is. I want to tell her how wore out and tired she is. But if I just say it, I don't think it'll sink in. So he says, I'm going to create a sermon illustration. And for 17 miles, I am physically going to walk through what she has been walking through emotionally for however many years. Because this is the thing. She might have rolled out of bed to get to the well that day. But you don't know what it took for her to still be standing through her life. That's the thing. She, does, she looks at Jesus, and he's just a dude at the well without a jar. What an idiot. She has no idea the journey that he has taken. You've got to be slow to judge people when you meet them at the well. Because you don't know what it cost for them to even just get there. To make it to your moment. Some people aren't that concerned about missing their moment. They're just trying to survive until they have their moment. But sometimes the fact that you make it to your moment, that's actually good. That's all you could do is just to barely hold on. And that's what Jesus has done. He's traveled through the mountains. He's traveled through the heat. He's traveled in the cold of the darkness in the middle of the desert, surrounded by venomous snakes and all sorts of animals. He knows what fear is. He knows what exhaustion is. He knows what weariness and thirst is. And and he's laying there at the well as a sermon illustration. This is what Jesus is doing, really, which I think this is what Jesus wants to do with us in order for us to know our need. He likes he likes to hold up one of these when he meets us. And I've always wanted just to hold up one of these to you all so you could see how you look when I'm preaching. Because you all are like looking better now. Like before you're like, can you say something? I think so. But now you're smiling. It's awesome. So I'll probably just preach for the rest of the time like this. I took this down from our bathroom, and uh, this is just this is this is what God likes to do to us. Though when we meet Him, He likes to do this, and that's why we often run from God because we don't want to see that. We want we want to meet God, and we want to hurry up and start serving Him because He needs us. We don't we don't want Him to hold that up. We don't want to, we don't want, we don't want him to show him, to show us ourselves. But that's exactly what he does. He, 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 he 
creates a sermon illustration, and the illustration is the lady. It's so interesting. He holds up a mirror to her life. This is why, this is why it's good to have kids. All, all you moms today, this is, why, this is why God gave you kids, so that your kids could do this to you every once in a while. I don't know why he always has to. Yeah. I don't know where he gets that from. Yeah, I know. I know where he gets it from. This is the, the wonderful thing about kids is because they're, they're, they're so innocent. And they're, so, they're so clearly themselves. They don't have filters. That's just who they are. And they came from you. And so they have a little bit of you inside of you. So whenever you get mad at them, you can't get too mad because they're always holding that up. But God has a way of creating circumstances and situations where he keeps doing this. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your spouse. A lot of times the very thing that irritates you about people is when they start doing this. (laughs) I have the privilege of being the pastor, which means I get to talk to the people who get offended and the people who offend people all in the same day sometimes. And sometimes I'm like... You're, you're a whole lot like, 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 like you're saying the same thing that like you think very similar to, but I don't say that, but it's just funny. It's amazing how, how the people that get on our nerves, usually they get on our nerves because they're doing this. The very stuff that we don't like in other people is usually the very stuff that's inside of us. I wonder if when she saw him laying there, I wonder if she thought, what a loser. I wonder, I, I wonder if she judged him as harshly as she had been judged. I wonder if she judged him as harshly as she judged herself. Boy, if I was looking like that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be coming to this public place. I wonder, because, because it's the very stuff. Sometimes when we see ourselves, we don't like it. You see, she sees a guy who's completely exhausted and drained and thirsty and has no, has no bucket. He has no way of getting anything to drink. Doesn't, isn't, isn't it awful? You can be that close. You can smell the water. You can make the journey. You can be that close, and you still don't have something to access it. I mean, isn't, isn't it awful that she can be five marriages so close and still nothing quite to access what she's been looking for? She's been asking for for water for fulfillment from every single man in her life and yet she's been met with rejection after rejection how can you get so close to the water make it so long in life and still not find fulfillment how is it that you can be so close and other people have what you need but you do not have inside of yourself what it takes to pull it from the source and receive it who is this guy coming to the well without a bucket don't you know you gotta you gotta make your own way in life? Don't you know you gotta be able to dig in there and get it for yourself? Don't probably looking for a handout. He's so desperate. She doesn't realize that he is showing her herself. And I would just suggest to you that every encounter that God has is really with you. It's about you. And it's for you. We like to think that God has an ulterior motive and he's saving us in order to, you know, because he needs help. He's got like a hundred bazillion angels. He doesn't need your help. When he encounters us, he encounters us. It's about us and it's for us. He's trying to show her herself. 
And so it's within that context, if we go back to the scripture, if it's within that context, you have to remember, he's holding up a mirror to her, and he says, give me a drink, give me a drink, I'm so thirsty, you are able to get what I need, please give me a drink, and this is what she says. Now remember, she's talking really to herself, and he says, he says, give me a drink, because his disciples had gone And she says, how is it, verse 9, the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? You Jews have no dealings with us Samaritans. The word dealings there means it's not just a business transaction because they did have business transactions. It means to come alongside of and receive. In other words, she's saying, now, now remember, he's holding up a mirror to her. He's saying, give me something to drink. I'm so thirsty. I'm so desperate. I'm so lonely. I'm so lost. I'm so tired. And she turns and looks at herself, and she said, how is it that you're asking for a drink when you Jews never, uh, the, the actual word dealings means to come alongside and receive? She said, why are you asking me for water when you've never received what I've offered before? Why are you now asking me for water when you've never received what I had to offer before. Now, she doesn't know it, but she's talking to herself. She doesn't realize it, but the Holy Spirit is already working in her heart, is already revealing that all of her life, she's never been able to receive what God was offering her before. And that's why Jesus says in the next verse, in verse uh, uh, 10, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift... If you knew the gift. Now, he could have said a bazillion things. If you knew the power of of the name of Jesus. If you knew the, what? No, if you knew the gift. If you knew the gift. And I would suggest to each and every one of you, if you knew that the love of God was a gift. If you really knew the gift of God. If you really understood the gift nature of God. If you understood the gift of God. He said, if you knew the gift, if you had known the gift of God, you would have asked me, and then I would have given you. If you knew the gift, oftentimes we don't ask because we don't understand the gift concept. Uh, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We, we, We come to God, and we still have a wage mentality. We think that we have to earn something. We think that we have to work hard enough for it. We still have a wage mentality, but God flips the script and says... The gift of God, the wages, yeah, of sin is death, but the gift of God, you cannot earn the gift of God. You cannot do enough to pay back the gift of God. All of your service adds nothing to the gift of God. All of your church attendance adds nothing to the gift of God. If you understood the gift of God, you wouldn't compare yourself with others. If you understood the gift of God, you wouldn't, you wouldn't compare your gifts with somebody else's gift because it's a gift. Madden, just last night, Madden was telling me how unfair it was that I gave Micah a quarter because Micah found a quarter in my pants pocket because my pants had fallen over and he found a quarter and he asked if he could keep it. And I said, yes. And she said, that's not fair. And I said, why is it unfair that I should give my money to whoever I want to? Why is that not fair? It's my money. 
It's a gift. I gave it to him. I love him. I wanted him to have it. He's 25 cents richer than you. And I'm not, I don't love him any more than you. It has nothing to do. I give him gifts. I give you gifts. Would you just shut up and accept the gift? Just take it. Just take it. Just receive it. Why don't you quit looking around at gifts other people have? I didn't have that gift. I know. It's a gift. They didn't earn it. If they're not any better off for it, it's a gift. If you understood the gift of God, you wouldn't be so jealous of other people's gifts. You wouldn't be so insecure about your own gift. If you understood the gift of God, you'd be able to forgive people. Because you'd be able to forgive the inexcusable in them because God under, uh, already forgave the inexcusable in you. If you understood that you never earned his forgiveness, you didn't start changing your life and now he liked you better. If you understood how freely he wiped out your past and eliminated the charge that was set against you, you would freely forgive people. How are you going to hold somebody to a $50 debt when you've been forgiven a million bucks? That doesn't make sense. The problem is not that you have a, a oh, I just have, find it really hard to forgive. No, you don't. You do not understand the gift. You have a knowledge problem. You don't have a forgiveness problem. You have a knowledge problem. You don't know what God has done for you. You don't know what it cost him to get to where he was. You don't you even thought about the cross and his blood that was poured out for you and for all your, your dumb mistakes. You don't understand the gift. If you understood the gift... You, you wouldn't have trouble comparing yourself to others. You wouldn't have trouble forgiving other people. You wouldn't have trouble loving other people. I'm not sure if they deserve it. I'm not sure if they're going to stick around. I'm not sure if they're going to return the love back. If you understood the gift, you wouldn't be looking for something back. That's a transaction. That's a business deal. A gift is given. It's done. It's given. It's done. If you understood the gift. Even today, we handed out gifts to moms. We handed out necklaces and stuff. <laughs> but I know from, this is my third Mother's Day as a pastor, but I know from the past two Mother's Day that there were some moms who didn't feel worthy to take the gift. I know there's some moms who, who have teenagers that are going crazy right now and they feel like failures and so they, didn't, they weren't sure if they should take the gift. Just shut up and take it. <laughs> the gift is, is, is about you and it's for you, not about what you've done or how well you've done it. There's some moms who don't feel worthy to take the gift because they don't actually have children on earth. They, they, they had a couple miscarriages. They have children in heaven. the gift still applies to you. If you understood the gift, you would understand that it's not about you raising something. It's about you giving birth to something. And God put a life inside of you, and that life doesn't stop when a heartbeat stops. So just take it. There's some moms here who, who don't feel like they should take it because they haven't actually given birth to kids. Instead, they've just adopted kids. But the gift is for you. Because if you have someone who calls you mom, you are a mom in someone's life. You are important. You're impactful. The gift is for you. Just take it. Don't argue. Don't, don't, don't try to tell us, well, I don't think we should. We've already decided. We bought it. 
We paid for it. I'm preaching. I'm not, not shouting, but I'm preaching. It's already been bought. It's already been paid for. It's got your name on it. Stop arguing. Just take it. If you understood the gift. There's even some moms who don't want to take the gift because, because they had an abortion. They chose to end that life. But if you understood the gift, you would know that that child in heaven has forgiven you long ago. It's time for you to forgive yourself. Just take it. It's for you. Some moms here who are, who are beat themselves up all the time because they yell at their kids. <laughs> None of you, of course. <laughs> Folks watching online. too ashamed to come to the well at the regular time they're watching online. No, just kidding. <laughs> but if you understood the gift, it's already been bought, it's already been paid for. It's got your name on it. We knew you weren't perfect. God knew you weren't perfect when he gave you the gift of those children. God knew your hang-ups and your hurts and your past and knew how you grew up. And he knew what was in you. When he gave you something, you didn't know. You're, too, you're, you know, you're all cocky, watch, reading all these mothering books and parenting books, and it's going to be awesome. I'm going to be the best mom when I'm never going to do that, and I'm never going to say that, and I'm never going to tell my kid that. And, 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 and you do. If you understood the gift, if you understood the gift of God, you would have asked, and he would have given. You would have asked, and he would have given. You would have asked, he would have given. If you would ask, he would give. If you would ask, he would give. It's really that simple. Not if you would work, not if you would earn, not if you would shape yourself up, not if you would change some things, not if you would, no, if you would ask, he would give. That's the gift of God. If you would have known the gift of God, you would have asked and he would have given. Because it's for you. It's already been paid for. It's already available. I traveled all this way to get it to you, lady. Do you know how intentional God is about you? Do you know how purposeful God is? Do you know how badly he wants you to receive the gift? That, that he, wouldn't, he wasn't going to miss the appointment with you in the middle of your well. He came to where you are. Just take it. If you've never received the gift of salvation, I'd like for us to bow our heads and close our eyes. I feel like the Holy Spirit's talking to somebody today that says you've been trying to earn it and you've been feeling guilty about this and that and the other. You've been hiding behind shame, but the time has come for you to receive it, that, that, that you need to receive the gift. It starts there. I mean, yeah, God wants to do stuff in your life, but everything he wants to do, he will do. He will do. Not you, not, 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 not a committee, not your family. You don't have to wait for people to change. God wants you to receive the gift. 